If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 28 is when we're going to be spending a majority of our time. Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We're going to be throwing some of the Scripture on the screen behind us. And as you turn there, I want to maybe prompt you to recall something in your life. I want to maybe ask you a question to get that started. So, so here's what I want you to consider. Can you remember a time in your life of a memorable first or final impression? Can you remember a time in your life about a memorable first or final impression? I know as I think about that, one kind of jumps off the page at me. I don't know what yours might be, um, but I'm, I'm certain, or at least I'm guessing, that, that you can think of something that there's been something in your life that's kind of stuck out as maybe this first or final impression. Maybe it's a, a job interview. Maybe it's a first date. Uh, maybe it's saying goodbye to a friend who's moved away. Or maybe it's saying goodbye to a loved one. But I would imagine that all of us have in our mind a memory of a first or final impression. And, and I ask the question, what is it about these that that makes it so memorable? What is it about these first or final impressions that seem to stick with us above other interactions, maybe with the same people or other instances around the same circumstance? And I think part of the reason why these things are so memorable for us is because we put a lot of time into them. If it's a job interview, right? Like you might be rehearsing some answers the night before. You might be doing some research. If it's a first date, Maybe you're, you know, you, you've kind of gone through and you know what you want to say and what you want to communicate. We really put a lot of time and energy and effort and thought into how we want to present ourselves. And so I think as we find ourselves in these situations, often they're pretty memorable because a lot of work went into them. Maybe it's only a two or three minute interaction, but, but really if we pull back a little bit, we've seen that we've spent a lot of time thinking about these things. As I shared with you, I know I have one that kind of jumps out off the page at me. And for those of you who don't know, I, I uh, have been married now to my wonderful wife, Jenna, for just over six months. Um, yeah, thank you. That was very kind of you. Uh, and so if you have any marital questions, don't worry. We have all the answers. We've been married six months, and we got it down. So uh, if you need some help, let us know. Um, if you're married, you know, of course, I am joking. Uh, I often feel like a fish out of water. Anyway, uh, we've been married for just over six months now. And the beginning of our relationship would be what I would call tumultuous. I think that's a fair word to the start of her and I relationship. Now, if you know me, you know I'm a very thoughtful person. And I, I don't say thoughtful like I do a lot of kind things for people, although I hope that would be true of myself. I say I'm thoughtful like I think a lot. I think the thoughtful is a nice word. I think a, a, a maybe a more accurate word might be compulsive or perhaps a bit neurotic uh, if you are familiar with someone like that in your life. But that's me. I think all the time and it can get me into some trouble. And at the start of our relationship, I had a lot of thoughts in my head. <laughs> and I thought a lot and I thought a lot and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Wait, I'm not ready. Yes, I, I really like you. Oh my gosh, I'm terrified. And it was this constant kind of back and forth. Now, my wife is insanely gracious that she was very patient and kind with me, but she did kind of give me a kick in the pants at one point, and she's like, hey, look, what the heck is going on here? What, what are we doing? Are we in or are we out? And uh, it was at the end of 2018, and I, I told her, you know, I, just, I think I just need to be friends. Uh, we had been leading a group at the time together, and, and our friendship was, was pretty strong, I, I think. I don't know if you would say the same thing. I hope you would. But our friendship was pretty strong, and I didn't want to lose that connection in my life. 
I wasn't at a point where I wanted her out of my life, and so I didn't want to maybe take a false step if I wasn't ready and, and do damage to that relationship. So I said, you know what? Let's just be friends. So then at the start of 2019, uh, one of my good friends and I, Stephen, we flew down to Newport Beach, California to visit her. That's where she's from. It's just north of Laguna Beach. It is the land flowing of milk and honey. Have you ever read about that in the Old Testament? I mean, it is like street tacos and beachfront utopia in Newport Beach. So I loved it, and it was an incredible time. But there were two moments on that trip that I really had kind of like an aha moment with her. She didn't know, but there were two moments where I was like, Man, there's something about her that I, that, that's appealing, that, that's, that I want more of, that I want to press into in a deeper way, the way she cares for people and her family, and oh man, there's something about it. So we got home January 5th. I called Steve. I said, Steve, I'm going to ask her out. And he was so pumped. He's like, wow, because again, uh, the compulsive, neurotic, thoughtful side of me had been in turmoil for the past few months. So January 5th comes. I get off the phone with Steve, and I call Jenna. I said, Jenna, I had a great time with you in California. It was wonderful. And I want to I see if there's something more here. And so I, I, I want to know if you'd be interested in going out on a date with me. Really kind of put myself out there, right? Like, okay, let's do this. Let's move forward with this. Now, this is, again, a little insight into the thoughtful and neurotic side of me. When there's a difficult conversation, I will have it with myself in a room alone to make sure that I know what it is I want to say, right? So I've rehearsed this line, as simple as it might be, do you want to go on a date with me? I made sure that there was going to be no mistake about what I communicated, and I thought I did a pretty good job. I thought I did a pretty good job, put myself out there, right? And so here's what I'm expecting to hear back. Ah, Tucker, you're so wonderful. I've been waiting for this for so long. You're such a great guy. This is such a blessing, right? And so I'm gearing up for this, thinking, okay, this is what I needed to practice, and now I'm going to hear back what she has to say, and I believe I'm quoting exactly here that her response was, ugh, a, a, a literal, guttural ugh came through the phone on the other end. Not maybe what I wanted to hear after this thoughtful component of me had worked through all the kinks. Now, by God's grace, as I shared, we get to stand here married for six months. Um, she had mourned the thought of our relationship being over, or so she tells me, and that's why the ugh came out. But... Uh, I, I, I thought so much about those moments. I thought so much about that conversation. And, and while we had a long history prior to that moment, um, there was still within me something that wanted to make sure that that moment went well. And, and, and even in our beginning of a new romantic relationship, there was part of me that wanted to make sure that that first impression of what it means to start romance started out on the right foot. I wanted my intentions to be made known, and I wanted to make sure that my intentions were clear. Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus' first and last impressions with his disciples. I want to look at, at how Jesus came onto the scene. I want to ask the question, what did he find valuable and important enough to communicate to his disciples when he first interacted? And, and then consequently, after that, what was it that Jesus found so important to communicate to them at the end of his time with them. You see, we're in the, in the middle of a series entitled Double Vision. And in this series, we're really investigating and thinking about what it means to fulfill the call of Jesus on our life. And part of that, we believe, 
is that we are called to be evangelistic. This concept of double vision, right? If you have double vision and you're looking at one people, you might see two people. And that's not because we want a bigger church. That's not because we want more people in this room. It's not because we want bigger and better and grander. The reason why we want to talk about this notion of double vision is because, one, we believe that it is central to the call of Jesus on our life, and two, because we want to see people united with their creator. We want to see people united with God. We want to see people experience his love and his kindness. And the theme verse for this series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. In other words, because we understand who God is, what he has called us to, how we are to respond. I love that word responsibility because there has been something given to us that we are to care for and move forward in. We will work hard to impress upon others the, the, the way of Jesus. So in light of that, I want to look at his first and final impressions with his disciples and see what that can tell us about this notion of being called to be evangelistic. A spoiler alert quickly. He calls us to have double vision. He calls us to have double vision. Let's pray and we'll jump into the scriptures. Lord, we just, uh, we ask God for this, these moments to be filled with your truth. God, that your spirit would be present as it is and, and working in us. Lord, that it would, it would help guide us to grasp what it is you would have for us this morning. God, that this word uh, coming from your scriptures, Lord, would, would bring glory and honor to you. And would help us, as, as those of us who are followers of you, Jesus, the people of God, that we would live out the calling on our lives that you have so graciously given to each one of us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. This is where we're going to start this morning. Matthew chapter 4. In fact, if you have a Bible and you open it up, most of your Bibles at the very top of Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it's going to say something to the effect of the first disciples or the calling of the first disciples because we see in Matthew's gospel that this interaction in these moments are Jesus's first impressions with these men. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, it tells us this. One day... As Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a, nut, a net into their water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So, so Jesus in this moment is walking along this Sea of Galilee. And I want to pause there for a moment because I think one of the traps as we read the Bible is we can just think that this is some sort of story, right? Right now, the Sea of Galilee exists on this earth. Like, this is a real place. And I want us to understand that because as we read through these scriptures, and not just these scriptures, we're not reading some sort of fairy tale. We're not reading just some sort of storybook. We're reading about a real person named Jesus walking this very planet that you and I are on today. 
And so Jesus is walking along this shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's strolling along and he sees two sets of brothers. He sees Peter and Andrew and he sees James and John. And what does he say to them? Well, the first thing that Jesus would say to these men is come and follow me. The first thing that Jesus would say to these men is come and follow me. Now, now I'm going to get to the reality of the call to evangelize in a moment because it's crystal clear in this passage and the one we're going to look at. You can't avoid it. In fact, the call to Jesus can't be separated from the call to be evangelistic. It is central. However, we can't get to the call to evangelize before we first receive the call to follow. We can't get to that call to become fishers of men until we've first been invited by Jesus to come and follow him. And so his first command that he would give his disciples in these moments, the first words he would speak are, come and follow me. And I want to be as clear and as plain as I can on this point, that every one of us who have proclaimed faith in Jesus, who would consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, have been called by Jesus to follow him. Now, I know that that might seem like a fairly self-evident statement, so let me just take a few moments and dive a little bit deeper into what that means and the beauty of this call. So again, Jesus is walking on this shore, and he sees these two sets of brothers, and, and, and he goes to them, and he calls them, right? This is so contradictory to the time. And what I mean by that is during this time of rabbinical tradition where there are rabbis, as Jesus was, which was a Jewish teacher, normally what would happen is people who wanted to follow that rabbi would have already left their livelihood behind just for a chance and an opportunity to be called to follow by that rabbi. So they would have already left. They would have left their home. They would have left their work. They would have left their family. And they would have gone to wherever that rabbi was simply for the chance of being called by him. And yet we see Jesus do the exact opposite. Jesus doesn't wait for these men to come to him. He goes into their life. He goes into their circumstance. He goes into their workplace. He goes into their life and what it is that they're doing at those very moments. And that is precisely where we see this call of Jesus to follow him given to these men. I believe firmly that Jesus is still in the business of doing this today. That Jesus is in the business of moving into our life of moving into our circumstance, of finding us in places that we might not expect him. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You wouldn't say that you would follow him or believe in him. And yet, I believe firmly that Jesus is in the business of coming to you first. Not waiting for you to come to him, but coming into your life and giving you this call to follow. And he says, come and follow me. And why I think this is so important that it comes first is I think that this call to follow him gives us motivation for everything else that comes after. The call to follow him gives us the motivation for what we're about to see of the command to make fishers of men. The call to follow him gives us the motivation as to why we might live a certain way and abstain from certain things and sacrifice in certain things. That this call to follow him shows us the character and nature and goodness of Jesus. And it's out of that character and nature of goodness that all of these other things begin to flip excuse me, begin to flow. And so we see in these moments, this call to follow him precedes the call to become fishers of men. And notice the response of these two sets of brothers. 
In verse 20, what does it tell us? Well, it tells us they left their nets at once and followed him. In verse 22, with James and John, they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. A quick little Bible reading tip that I like to give people is if you notice a theme or a set of words or a principle repeated over and over again, pay attention because the author is trying to communicate to you something. And I think that without a doubt, we can look at these, these moments and these passages and see that Matthew is trying to tell us that the call of Jesus elicits a response. The call of Jesus elicits a response from us. It's not one that is passive as we are called to him and we're like, ah, well, whatever. No, we see that over the, in these two moments with these two sets of brothers that at once they followed. They left their nets immediately behind them. That the call of Jesus elicits a response. And Jesus is still in the business of calling people to himself today. And I would say that that's why we're in this room right now. Maybe some of you are followers of Jesus and you find yourself in this room because you've been given the call to follow. And you know that part of the call to follow is to gather together with God's people, to hear about his truth, to listen to the word be proclaimed, to be reminded of yourself, his goodness and his grace. And that's why you find yourself here. And again, maybe some of you here aren't followers of Jesus. And, and maybe you're even wondering right now, like, what the heck am I doing at church? I, I never thought I would find myself here. And, and, and what I would say to you is I think Jesus, again, as we've seen in this story, he's in the business of coming into your circumstance and your life and issuing that call. He's not going to wait. He's here right now today to issue you the same call as he has given these disciples. So Jesus tells these men, come and follow me. What's next? Well, what's next is what we're going to be spending the remainder of our time understanding and listening to. And it's these words, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you ready to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. The first part of this first command that Jesus would issue to his disciples is the call to follow. And what immediately precedes that is a call to evangelize. We cannot separate the call to follow Jesus from the call to share our faith with others. Those two things, from the moment Jesus gets on the scene with these group of individuals, he tells us that these things are inseparable. That part of following him means that we will share our faith and witness to those around us. And this type of call is universal. It applies to every single person whom he would call. Anyone who receives the call to follow Jesus also intrinsically receives the call to proclaim and share the gospel as well. These things cannot be separated. He won't call some people, hey, you know what? Why don't you come follow me and you're going to share the message. You're going to share the truth. And then other people, he just says, and you're just going to come follow me. Forget about that whole sharing the message thing. Forget about that whole evangelistic thing. He doesn't do that. We don't see that anywhere else. Jesus gives this call to follow him. And part of that call is that we will be those who witness and share our faith. And yet, for those of us who are believers, 
I think so often our mindset does stop after those first three words, come and follow me. And so what that looks like is we might be really studious. We might be really engaged in our relationship with Jesus. And there is nothing wrong about that. But that's not the total package. That's not the complete picture. That's not where Jesus ends the call. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. And part of that process is getting out there and proclaiming his word and his truth and his message to those who will hear. And notice the language he uses as well. I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. It's not come and follow me and make yourself into. It's not come and follow me and take all these notes and try as hard as you can and strive and put forth effort. Now look, I think that all of those things are helpful. I think all of those things we could find in the scriptures that we are called to put forth our energy and effort. Look at our theme verse. In in 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says that we will work hard. And so it's not a matter of not working hard. It's a matter of there is something about being engaged with the process of evangelism, about having a total mind shift, about sharing the faith in Jesus Christ. There is something about that that, does, that, that, that that in its very nature necessitates Jesus to do something in us. That it is him who will take us from the place of believing to witnessing. There's something, there's a work deep inside of us that Jesus must do in order to get us to that place. And if you find yourself in here this morning and you would consider or say of yourself that you might have a lack of drive or a lack of passion for evangelism, I have really good news for you this morning. Because the remedy to that is not, well, go out and try harder. Oh, I'm sorry you might not have that passion, but work harder, be more disciplined, do all those things. I think that the answer to the lack of a drive for evangelism is a deeper and more passionate commitment to following Jesus. We have to go back to the original point. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If we find ourselves, if you find yourself in these moments, in this time, finding, oh man, you know what? It's just hard for me to do that, or I don't really have a passion to do that. I would put forth to you, you got to fix your eyes back on Jesus. Because as you look at him, as you understand him, as you are called to follow him and trust him and believe in him, and you know his rhythms and you know his heart and you know his love, I just, I can't help but think that there's no way if you know those things that there isn't part of you that's like, I know I need to do this. I got to just tell somebody about this. I got to pray for them. I got to just tell them how much they're loved. I, I just, I have to. I'm compelled. And the reason why there might be that sense of being compelled is because we've seen his goodness ourselves. And so if you find yourself with a lack of drive, a lack of passion for evangelism, I would tell you, fix your eyes back on Jesus. Allow him to fulfill his promise that he will make you into fishers of men. I think Jesus makes it very clear in these moments that his first impression with these disciples, and I think consequently with us, is both a call to follow him and to evangelize. That these things cannot be separated. So what about his final impression? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. 
Matthew chapter 28, and, and just in case you're unaware, there's about three years of a time gap between what we just read in Matthew chapter 4 and now jumping ahead to Matthew chapter 28. About three years have gone by in between these two instances. And this, if, you're, if you've been in church for a while or maybe you're familiar with some church language, you might be very familiar with this passage. It's called the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus would tell his disciples. Therefore, go. I think those are two really important words for us in the context of our conversation. And those two words are therefore, go. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, my hope would be that as we read through that, that you would hear some similar tones in this last final impression of Jesus in the Great Commission to what he had in this first impression. He doubles down in, this, in these last moments on his first call to his disciples. He says, therefore, go. Go and make disciples. And in verse 20, he tells us, teach these new disciples. Why is that word important? Well, if they're new, it's not like they were believers before. He doesn't say, hey, go to those who have already heard about me. Go to the other churches around this area in Mesopotamia. Hey, go to the other churches over here. Go to Corinth. Go to Ephesus. Go to Philippi. And just talk amongst yourselves about who I am and who I've revealed myself to be. No, he says, teach these new disciples, meaning before you had had these conversations and before they had, had met me and encountered me, they did not know who I was. They, they didn't know me. This, this, this revelation and this word of new disciples is so important here because, again, I think he's doubling down on this vision of being fishers of men. It's, it's almost like he's sitting here in these last moments and he's having this last huddle. And he tells his disciples, man, what a blast, right? What a ride. Three years we've been doing this together. We've spent countless miles walking on the roads together. We've spent countless evenings around campfires talking with one another. Man, you, you, you've, you've seen miracles be performed. We've had to flee for our life. We have had an insane three years. But it doesn't stop here because I created you to do more than just follow me. I, I want you now to go and tell. These three years you've had with me, these experiences, these things, these insights that you've seen of me, go and tell. Tell people who don't know me what I'm like. Tell them about my love. Tell them about my teachings. Tell people about who I am. In other words, he's saying, guys, look, I've loved the last three years, but don't just follow me. Now go. Go. In Matthew chapter 4, we saw that his uh, initial call to his disciples started with an invitation. Come and follow me. And here in Matthew chapter 28, we see that one of his final impressions with these same disciples is not another invitation, but it is in fact a commissioning to go. 
Hey, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then we see in these last moments, he says, okay, great, we've done it. Now go, go out there and tell the world about who I am. It's almost as if he's reminding them and hearkening them back to these moments that they first shared at the Sea of Galilee saying, remember when I told you that I'd make you fishers of men? Well, it's time to go fish. And we see throughout the Gospels that this isn't the first time Jesus would put importance or precedence on going out. We've seen that he actually sends out his disciples on a few different occasions. We see that he sends them out to the villages and says, I want you to go out. I want you to knock on some doors and tell people about me. And you know what? If they don't accept me, if they don't accept you in my name, kick the dust off your feet and keep moving. It's not as if for those three years that these men followed Jesus, all of a sudden it was no evangelism and then evangelism. No, no, no. It was along the way these men were sharing their faith. They were sharing and learning and becoming bold and empowered by the Spirit of God to declare the truths of Jesus along the way. And as we begin to create disciples today, Because this call still matters to us who believe in Jesus right now in Missoula in 2020. This process of creating disciples should continue to repeat itself. In other words, the process of creating a disciple doesn't end once they've decided to follow Jesus. Just like for you and I in our life, the call to follow Jesus doesn't stop once we profess faith. That's actually the beginning point of our call to follow Jesus. That's where we start in that moment to say, great, now I see You've taken the scales from my eyes, and now I am commissioned to go and create disciples. This continues to happen. There's a pastor named David Platt who has a wonderful quote that I like to use in this type of conversation, and he says it this way. If we're not creating disciples who create disciples, we're not creating disciples. Let me say that again. If we're not creating disciples who create disciples... We're not creating disciples. And the whole point behind that quote is exactly what we're talking about here this morning. That there is something that has to be connected to considering yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ that is connected to sharing and proclaiming the gospel with other people. That's part of what discipleship looks like. I think at this point it would be important to recognize that these two passages we've looked at What we've seen is that there's a three-year journey, this incredible journey with these men following Jesus. And like I said, they've seen everything under the sun. They've seen people come after them. They've seen miracles be performed. They've seen dead people be raised to life. They've seen it all. And maybe you're in here this morning and go, one, I don't have three years worth of experience under my belt. And two, I haven't witnessed or seen any of these magical things. How am I supposed to go? Where's my three years? I understand that, but let me share with you a passage that I think speaks to this reality so well. Because I think, again, inherent into that call is a call to follow, but the three years of knowing and learning and growing, that's not a prerequisite to the call to go either. We're going to look at John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we see a pretty, uh, again, famous piece of scripture about the woman at the well. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this passage, Jesus is on a long journey. And he needs a little pit stop. He needs a little break. And he decides to do this in about the most controversial place you could possibly find him in. He goes right into the heart of a place called Samaria. Now this place called Samaria, uh, these people, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, uh, they hated each other. 
And when I say that, I don't just mean like, oh yeah, they didn't like each other, right? Like think of your sports rival team and that's what they felt. No, no, no. I mean like these people legitimately hated each other. Like, like the Jews would call these Samaritan people like ethnic breeds and blends, and they would, they would, there certainly was this really racial tension between the two of them. They, they did not like each other at all. And yet Jesus walks right into the heart of that place as a Jewish man, and he needs to take a little break, so he finds a well. And he takes a seat. And if it's not enough that Jesus finds himself in Samaria at this point, a woman walks up, which is just as taboo. Now in the middle of the day, we have Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well, and they begin to have this incredible dialogue that at first seems like they're talking about, hey, can you just get me a little drink of water? I'm thirsty, but it actually is rich and full of spiritual depth of what they're discussing. And it starts out, as I said, hey, can you give me some water? And then it transitions into a conversation about living water and eternal water. And, and all of a sudden, this woman kind of starts to catch on, but she gives Jesus about every excuse you can in the book. She talks to him about how the fact that, hey, look, there's some spiritual discrepancy here, man. You guys say you're supposed to worship this way, and we Samaritans, we worship this way. Hey, by the way, I'm a Samaritan woman. By the way, hey, remember that. Also, I'm a woman, and you're a man. She gives him every excuse under the sun about why he shouldn't continue talking with her and why she should just kind of cut that conversation off. And at the end of this, Jesus then proceeds to confront her sin. If all of these things aren't enough, he says, okay, how about this? How about you go get your husband and then we can keep talking? And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five and the one you're with now, he's not, he's not even your husband. He, he reads the deepest parts of her soul. And I don't know what it is in your life, but, but I'm guessing there's something about your life or something that you're just terrified of people to find out about you. And it's as if Jesus is sitting across that well, and that's the very thing that he would speak. And none of this, him going to Samaria, him talking to a woman, him calling her out in this way, none of that is the craziest part of this story. What's the craziest part of this story is the woman's response. It's found in John chapter 4, verses 28 and 30. It says, then, after these conversations have happened, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus told me everything I ever did, that might not be the thing that I would lead with to tell everyone else, hey, come check this guy out. But she does. She says, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And it says that they came out of the town and made their way toward him. A few verses later in 39, we see this interaction with the woman pick up. So she had gone back to town, said, come and check out this guy. Could it be the man that we've been waiting for? And in verse 39, it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Band, you guys can come on up.
I love this story. I love this story for so many different reasons, but I think one thing that we can see clearly demonstrated in this story as well, in what we've seen in the book of Matthew, is that Jesus' relationship with his disciples, and Jesus' relationship with this woman, and Jesus' relationship with you and I is not just for you and I. It also is an avenue for us to share that relationship with others. This interaction with this woman, she she doesn't just stop and keep this to herself. She's compelled by what she has seen and experienced with Jesus to go then and share her faith with those in her village. This woman didn't have the three years of experience that the disciples did. In a moment, this woman goes, I, I got I to tell people about this. Come and see this man. Could he be who we are waiting for? And one of the things that's so beautiful about this passage is that he didn't wait for her to go get all cleaned up. She, she, he didn't, she wasn't on her way, and Jesus is like, well, hold on there. Let, let's slow down. Let's make sure that our life is perfect, that everything is in order, that there's no sin ever present, that you're living this perfect, perfect Christian life, and then you can go do it. No, she's still in the middle of where Jesus found her, and it is in that very place that she leaves. Now, this is not in any capacity an endorsement of not dealing with sin. Because what we see, a phrase from Jesus he uses over and over again with those whom he interacts with is, go and sin no more. There is a call to live a life that is honoring to God. And again, as I've said already, I think that the motivation for that is found in the call to follow him. But at the same time, I hear so often our language is like, but who am I to speak into that? I'm not perfect. I can't. That's not the point. That's not the point. If we wait and sit around until each one of us are perfect and have no sin and are not dealing with anything, guess what? This message dies with us because that is something that we can't attain. And so the call to follow Jesus is not a call to be perfect. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and learn his rhythm and his love and his life, and his passion for other people. In that call, we're called to repent. We're called as we see, oh man, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm stumbling with this. I'm living a lifestyle of this. God, forgive me. But not once do we see it take the place of, okay, well, close off the lips. No more declaration of the profession of faith. Don't tell anyone about me until you got this cleaned up. He uses our brokenness in mighty, mighty ways. And man, I just so desperately want us to know that some of us are just waiting for us to to get over that thing or stop being this or or be perfect in this way or I can't tell someone because I'm struggling. No, we are called, no matter where you are, to be a messenger of the gospel. No matter what you're struggling with, as Paul declares, what a beautiful testimony that his power is made perfect in my weakness. That the fact that we still struggle with things is actually a beautiful part of the testimony of God's power in our life. That if we just waited till we were perfect, it would actually undermine some of the power of the gospel because we wouldn't need his grace. We wouldn't need his forgiveness. 
but we do. And that is why we're called to go share this news because there is a world that is broken and hurting. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's pretty clear to see that there is a world that is broken and hurting. And who are we to have the gospel of Jesus and not share it? Who are we to see that we in the spirit of God have the power to transform a life? That we, we know what that is and just be like, oh man, well, I just don't really feel like it today. We believe that God has placed you right now in Missoula for a purpose. It's this word called providence, that God will do what he wants and that he can do it and that he's in the business of doing it. And we believe that you're here in Missoula purposefully. And if we're here for a purpose in this space and in this place, let's allow God to use us to share his goodness. Let's all be women that are found at this well, that are deeply aware of all the ways that we need Jesus to speak into our brokenness. And as he does that, we are compelled to share his goodness with other people. If you're someone in this room and, and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, I wanna just speak to you for a second. As I've shared, I think Jesus is in the business of moving into our space and our place and issuing this call. And I don't know what life has looked like for you. I don't know what your church history is. I don't, I don't know a lot about that, but here's what I do know and what I do believe to be true, that Jesus is in the business of calling people. And I think he's calling you today. I think that this call as he gave to his disciples, come and follow me, is the call that he gives and invites you to take up today as well. Come, follow me. He'll make you into fishers of men. He'll give you life and life abundant as John 10, 10 promises. And that's not a life free of burden, a life free of challenge. In fact, in many ways, it's a life filled with challenge, but it's a life that is, is filled with peace. And it's a life that is filled with contentment. And it's a life and a feeling and a sense of, of, of belong, that you are united again. For those of us in this space, in this room, who are followers of Jesus, I, I wanna be bold and, and charge you with the words of Jesus, that we are to therefore go and make disciples. This isn't just a concept or a thought that, that believers ought to do that. No, no, no. This is something deeply personal and practical to the individual, to the person, to those of us who are followers of Jesus. I want to challenge you with this this morning, and, and this has been the premise of our entire series. Who is that one person that you can live this way with? For the remainder of this 2021 year, who is that person that you can commit to being faithful with in sharing God's gospel with? And we've broken that down into a few ways, three simple things. You can pray. You can pray for this person. 
You can pray for what they're going through. You can pray for their needs. You can pray for, for the circumstance that they find themselves in. And you can pray that God, through the power of his spirit, would call this person to faith in Jesus. How and who can you pray for? Who can you invest in? This takes time. This takes consistency. This takes relationship. This takes sending text message. Hey, how you doing? Just checking in. This takes a phone call after a doctor's appointment. Hey, how'd that go? It takes intentionality. But who can you invest in? And then it takes invitation. It takes an invitation to, 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 to share or for them to hear the gospel message. That doesn't have to be at church. It can be. We try to do our best every week to talk about the reality of the gospel that in Christ we have forgiveness for our sins and we are reunited with God because of the sacrifice, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We try to do that every week, so this is a great place to start. But maybe God's calling you to share the gospel with them. Maybe God's calling you to a coffee appointment, to a lunch appointment, to a dinner with somebody where, where the, you just say, hey, look, God's been really putting this on my heart and I just want to share the gospel with you. Maybe it's inviting them into an anchored group or a community of believers where they can begin to see and be witnessed to through the power of the way that we live our lives. But who can we invite into this gospel opportunity? I want to charge us as a church that this is the reality of what the call to Jesus looks like. We don't get the call to follow without the call to go. We don't get the invitation of come and follow me without the charge of, okay, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I just hope and pray for our church that this can be descriptive of who we are as a people. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close out in one last song of worship. And maybe for some of us in this time, it's a time where we just need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You found yourself, as we've talked about this concept of evangelism, feeling like, you know what, I, I just don't have a drive for it or a passion for it. I would tell you, desperately put your eyes on him. Again, the remedy to a lack of a drive for evangelism is not work harder, it's, it's pursue Jesus more deeply and more clearly. Maybe for some of you, it's that person is on your mind right now. Pray for them. Pray for them. Ask God to reveal himself to them. Maybe, maybe he's asking you to, to reach out to them right now in this moment. I want to tell you, it's okay if you send a text in church. That's okay. Reach out. Ask him, hey, you know, you've been on my mind. You've been on my heart. How you doing? Is everything okay? Because we want to be a people that embody the call of God. And we want to believe, put faith in his call that he will make us fishers of men.